Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, what's up, friends? My name is Andre, and this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast, a podcast about pretty much anything tennis that I can think of coming through my head, uh, from goat conversations to recreational tennis, play tennis that you play in your league, in your club, and everything in between. So um, this episode, I would like to talk about the comeback of tennis again. I know I've already done a, an episode about this, uh, and... I'm not sure if I made a video as well, but I certainly did a an episode. And the reason why it was relevant is because obviously there is a whole pandemic going on right now and things aren't exactly so sure yet. Um, plenty of people are still having talks about what kind of procedure should they have, how, uh, res- how restricted should access be. Um, and there's the whole problem with uh, traveling, like uh, are players going to be able to get to where they need to be? I've recently uh, listened to um, the latest No Challenges Remaining uh, podcast episode in which Ben Rothenberg speaks to, uh, is it Rothenberg, I think? I don't know. But anyway, I think it's Rothenberg. I think saying I've been saying this wrong for a long time. But anyways, um in which he, he and a bunch of uh, sports journalists are talking about tennis and other sports. Um, and they did point out that one of the difficulties of tennis is ex- exactly the fact that tennis players have to come from across the globe and from all around the world. It's a very international sport. And unlike um, the MLS, the soccer uh, league, uh, the NHL, uh, and the basketball leagues and things like that. So... Um, where players are from the United States and they are either staying in the United States or coming to Canada, which is the case for the NHL. But tennis is, is different. Tennis has the the problematic of people having to um, obey certain um, travel restrictions and quarantining when they come to the country. So it makes a lot of things t- tough to, um, you know, consider, conceive in a sense. Um, and that leaves a lot of questions open as in what are, what is the playing field going to be like, um, how the players are going to play and where are they going to be, um, training and, um, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of questions is still like, it's not, it's not like everything is still so much up in the air as it was. It seems the tennis will make a comeback, at least in Europe, where things are going much smoother at this point, and they've been they've been they're being really um rest- restricted about their 
um, they haven't. They have very strict rules, and they're being really serious about it. Whereas in the United States, uh, things are a little shaky still, and um, they're basically still haven't really gone to recover from the first wave of uh, COVID, and things are not necessarily getting much better. Um, especially uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, in Florida, where um, cases are kind of going almost every day at a record high. So. Yeah, this is this is the the whole Grand Slam situation, the whole tennis situation right now in terms of the pandemics. But I would like to go from a, a more optimistic approach from the beginning, at least of uh, from the first part of this uh, episode, in which Grand Slams actually happen. So let's say that they happen. There are a few questions that um, obviously, like we. Um, wanted to tackle, and uh, the first few of them would be. Um, who are who are the favorites to win? We've seen tons of exhibition tournaments happening, and uh, uh, we've seen actually some players contracted the virus. Some play, some, play, some players were in contact with people who contracted the virus, but tested positive or negative. Um, Dominic Team, um, Nigel Alexander Zverev being a few of those. Novak Djokovic having been having tested positive post Adria Tour, um, which was a which kind of like blew up the media, uh, the tennis media, which basically at this point has nothing else to concentrate their efforts on um, except for drama uh, and talking about whether tennis is going to come back or not. It's essentially us discussing as if I'm part of tennis media. But anyways, uh, the actual uh, large-scale media discussing whether tennis is going to come back or not is speculations right now. And that's where, what we are having discussions on. Um, and the... Winners is something that, like, I guess from a fan perspective, which is more what I, the approach that I take in this podcast is because I'm not, I'm not a journalist. I'm not traveling around the world. I'm not even necessarily um, attending the events that are right next door because it's expensive. I don't just get like a um, credential and I, and I come in and that's it. Like, this, this is not necessarily an easy thing for me to do. So I like to take the, the perspective of, of a, of a fan. And, being optimistic is, is also an interesting point to be because I, and I'm going to talk about this um, soon as well, is how um, how we just essentially want tennis to be back um, and how does that really feel. And seeing a lot of the players playing exhibitions has been encouraging and tricky at the same time to tell uh, which level they are right now. I personally haven't been watching that much of that much um that many exhibition matches. I've watched a few highlights and it's it's odd without the fans. It kind of feels like a practice. Some players that just don't really even seem very much involved in the matches. Um and some of the bigger names aren't even playing. Uh obviously Roger Federer has already declared that he isn't playing anymore for the remainder of 2020. Uh, Nadal is just kind of spending this whole time on the boat somewhere in in the Mediterranean. And Novak Djokovic has spent most of his uh, pandemic time um, getting in trouble on Twitter for doing questionable things and some not so questionable, but still people find ways to hate on him for a lot of things. Um, And there is another one that it's been basically the thing for 2020, the outsider of the big three, the new part of the big four, if you will, um, who has 
risen in the eyes of uh, Tennis Nation, um, the Tennis World, whose name is Dominic Team. He has made a couple of French Open finals, and he made the um, Australian Open finals, which actually put him in a very interesting position coming into the remainder of the, the season, whether this should take place or not, but assuming they will. Because the Australian Open, where he took Djokovic to five sets, and let's not talk about any controversies that, ha that happened in that match, but it was, it was five sets and Dominic team had plenty of chances to actually win that match, which is a hard court. And Dominic team has been a very um, strong contender for clay court tournaments, clay court titles. Uh, even though he hasn't won yet, uh, Masters 1000 hasn't really bro broken through Nadal's stronghold of uh, um, clay court tournaments and the, the surface in general. But he's made it. He's made two two finals in the French Open, and the French Open is happening. And this is the one Grand Slam that we are, I would say, probably 95% sure that is going to happen. It, you don't ever truly know until things are actually happening and by the and I'm, I'm sure that we're only going to be fully sure when the tournament is over <laughs> because that's when the it will just be over and be like okay we had a tournament we've managed to get to this point but back to Dominic team many people are asking on twitter including me i've asked on twitter whether Dominic team would win one of the grand slams and a lot of people a lot of people are actually thinking maybe he will win one of those grand slams and And this year still. And um, I've made a little poll. Like I didn't, Twitter doesn't actually give you that many options for this. Like you could pull out tons of uh, small um, ways that things could go, how tournaments could turn around. But I basically asked who are going to be the next Grand Slam champions this year. And um, I've, Placed as options, Djokovic and Nadal, Djokovic and team, and Nadal and team, and other combinations of other players who might be randomly coming through and winning a Grand Slam. And for that, potentially, I was trying to imagine Medvedev, because he did make the Grand Slam, the US Open final last year, and he pushed Nadal to five sets. Surprisingly, um, even in the fifth set, it wasn't necessarily all that... Um, competitive in the minds of fans i would say like the match was competitive but in our minds at least in mine and um there wasn't necessarily that much of a doubt that Nadal would have would be able to come through unless medvedev was actually playing extremely inspired tennis um uh but he did make a final last year in the u.s open i was trying to like put him in the roster as well but just because Dominic team has been so strong lately and has come so actually close And even though Medvedev made it to five sets, Dominic Team made it to five sets in a way that made Djokovic, Djokovic's reign in the Australian Open seem to be shaken a little bit. Whereas for Nadal, it almost felt like he was just going to find a way through and win it in the end. Um, but uh, especially because it was already surprising enough that it was a, there was there was a fifth set and it wasn't over in in four at least. But Honestly, it hasn't been much of a doubt that team is the other favorite. Um, and I was, and I, that's the, that was the goal of the question, essentially, was to find out how much of a second favorite was team in this whole discussion. And 
for the for the results that I got, essentially 50% of the entire 61 votes that I got, which isn't many, but it's quite um, sizable for the amount of followers that I do have on Twitter. Um, Djokovic and Nadal are the heavy favorites. 50% of the 50% of the votes went on to Djokovic and Nadal winning the Grand Slams. I didn't actually specify specify which slams are going to be the ones that they're going to win. Um, but you get the idea. Uh, Nadal and Djokovic is still the heavy favorites, and because I didn't, I wanted to maybe if I had more options, I would have added like uh, Djokovic wins both or or Nadal wins both. Um, Nadal hasn't necessarily confirmed his presence in the U.S. Open yet, but I, people are, we think it's going to be extremely unlikely that he will because he confirmed his presence in Madrid and I believe this is the week after the U.S. Open. So it's going to be almost... Um, it's too much tennis to play, especially if you haven't played at all um, competitively for um, six months. Uh, it, it would be too much on your on on anyone's body. They will be they will be fresh for sure. Like they won't be. Um, I don't think they're going to be that injury prone. Um, they will be probably very fit, and um, they'll be feeling good. Except probably a little bit rusty. Um, but yeah, the the point is, uh, Nadal probably won't play uh, in the U.S. Open and. And apparently, this is not going to hurt hurt him in the in the rankings. I still don't understand exactly how the ranking points are going to work, um, but apparently, he he can choose not to play a tournament and still not have his ranking points drop. Which means that if he does decide to n- not play the U.S. Open, he won't be penalized for that. And the only thing that he will lose is the championship defend the ch- is defending the championship in a sense. So he's defending champion, he won't defend it. So there will be a new champion if he doesn't play. Um, the second most voted um, option was actually Nadal and team. Uh, Nadal and team, this option got nearly 30% of the votes. And that is that actually poses an interesting picture because this tells us two things. One, that obviously, as I stated, Djokovic and Nadal are the heavy favorites to win Grand Slams. Possibly the 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 way people are visualizing this, and as I explained, that I was probably not going to play the U.S. Open, is that Djokovic is going to win. Well, Djokovic, I think I've been corrected on Twitter, uh, and I've listened to people talk, and I've listened on Wikipedia. His name is pronounced Djokovic. Um, Djokovic is most likely going to win the U.S. Open, and Nadal is most likely going to win Roland Garros, um, the French Open. That for a lot, a lot of years, a lot of years, had, there hasn't been that many doubts that Nadal is probably going to win there in the French. Um, even though the conditions are going to be a little bit different, he's still the heavy favorite, a twelve-time Grand Slam champion who has lost only twice. There, it doesn't seem like um, it will be. He is. He can be counted out that easily just because the time of the year has changed. Maybe the roof is going to affect the way he plays. Maybe the temperature, maybe the climate a little bit. Like it might have changed a bit, but he's still the heavy favorite. And he's not only, he's the heavy favorite because I can also see it from here. That's the second um, assumption is that Nadal is going to win Roland Garros. And if there is a, there is a tournament the team is going to win is going to be the US Open. So team 
chances of winning is basically in the US Open. Nobody really believes that he's going to win at Roland Garros. If someone is going to win at Roland Garros, that isn't Nadal, is Djokovic. So this is kind of like the current dynamics that we have. It's just kind of essentially to translate it in um, real speculative uh, terms is probably not Djokovic and Nadal are going to win because, well, this is kind of how, how things have been going for the past 10, 12 years. But team has gotten so close that we don't really know at this point. Um, it's just kind of, we're taking a guess, taking a gamble. This is how uh, team and Nadal are, are going through this. Uh, one of the one of the the people that commented on the on this um, on this thread that I on the the pool that I made. Um, sorry if I pronounce your name wrong, but it's a uh, Sedant Guru um, at Sedant Guru on uh, Twitter. He says uh, depends on the final participation list of the U.S. Open, and um, I said I think it's likely that Team and Djokovic at least will be there. Uh, but he says uh, correctly, I'm not looking for them. I'm looking for the other players. Medvedev, Monfils, Goffin, um, Roberto Bautista, Gut, Vavrinka, Raonic, Chilit, Dimitrov, and other folks that are going to be there uh, as well. Um, someone also posted here, Vanch Vermani, um, Marin Chilic, Karen Hachanov, Denis Shapovalov, Tennis and Grand, and then Evans. I feel like Dan Evans and Tennis and Grand and Shapovalov are massive stretch, stretches. Uh, Karen Nationalov, I don't think, is ready yet for a Grand Slam. But depending on who plays, actually might have a solid... Um, how, how, you, sorry, let me rephrase that. It probably will have an, a strong impact on how things are going to, um, to unfold in the U.S. Open. It may, if those guys don't play, um, the field might be a little bit um, weaker and it may favor either player uh, depending on how much time on court they, they take. Some players prefer to have a little bit more time on court. Some players prefer to have a little bit less. Federer is probably one of those that actually prefers to come into a final having not lost a single set during the entire tournament. Djokovic and Nadal are uh, players that I'm confident are probably enjoying uh, longer matches they can get into the rhythm of things and they can know they know that um they're feeling it they're feeling good about themselves for having come through matches like this even though they do uh, most of the time win at least up to the fourth round in straight sets so this is how we're standing in terms of the um the grand slam favorites uh it, it will be very interesting to see um what will happen and i'm Using this optimistic scenario for two things. For one, if I don't, there will not be an US Open. So Roland Garros uh, will probably still fall into Nadal's hands, even though players are going to be a little bit more, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, rested. They will be a little bit, feeling a little bit better. Um, but I don't think Nadal is just going to lose it. I don't think Nadal is going to lose Roland Garros regardless. I would very much hope for a final between Djokovic and Nadal. And really as a... And it's Djokovic. I keep saying it wrong. Oh my goodness. Uh, and be, I, be, I... Well, I being Djokovic, a Djokovic fan, uh, would really love for Djokovic to actually 
win it against Nadal, and I hope it'll be like a an epic match, a classic of the classics in Roland Garros. Maybe the one Roland Garros that Nadal loses, say, in the semifinals or in the final. Uh, hopefully the final, because I don't think that there's any other way that Djokovic and Nadal can meet in this tournament, and it will shake the world of tennis. Maybe if Djokovic gets to win against Nadal on the fi- in the final of Roland Garros, it may mean an entirely different, like the beginning of a new era in tennis. It completely may mean that. And it may even halt Nadal's. Nadal has been a great champion for the past 15 years or so, but he, if he loses then, he may lose his favoritism to win Roland Garros ever again. Um, and there may be a chance that he won't win another slam. Like, I, I think it's a possibility. I'm not saying that this is the biggest possibility, but it could be the possibility that this will happen to him. Um, so we'll have to know. This is all depending on not only how things unfold in this uh, remainder of the season, but also how they come back uh, in the regular season next year, which hopefully is going to be fully regular with fans and everything. So in terms of how the U.S. Open is going to unfold and Roland Garros is going to unfold. There is also another important aspect of uh, the game that I, ha- I haven't actually thought it was that important, which is the fans. Um, I haven't thought it was uh, a massive issue because I thought, well, just players, just probably just go- they're probably just going to concentrate on the match and they're going to be fine with uh, it and they're just going to be so focused that it won't even matter and that won't be a problem of like uh, wrong calls coming from the crowd or uh, booing or too much noise or even flashes or anything that it could be disturbing play um, and things like that but there's also an, an issue that I kind of came to realize and kind of brought me a little bit in doubt and I made another pool even about pool about that even which is um I've started this question is, what are your thoughts on tennis without fans? A Grand Slam without fans? A small exhibitions, uh, whatever, yada, yada. Uh, and as a fan, how do you feel about not having uh, fans on the stadium? And I have uh, listened to the tennis podcast uh, interview with Yannick Noah, who uh, is the 1983 Roland Garros champion. Um, and... First of all, you should go and definitely listen, give it a listen. It's an amazing uh, interview. The guy is incredible. I love listening to his story. I'm not even finished the episode, by the way. Uh, I'm really excited to, to hear everything that he's got to say. Uh, maybe one day I'll even get a chance to talk to him. But he uh, mentions how his interactions with the crowd and not only his, but his opponent's interactions with the crowds and how they actually behave in front of crowds and well, how do they uh, use the crowds to their favor in a match? And um, for 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 one, I remembered as well how Djokovic was. Djokovic was. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not gonna change that quickly. I'm sorry, guys. Um, but how Djokovic uses the crowd, which is going against him, in his favor. Like he he has learned how to not rely on the crowds. And understand his position as not the fan favorite, especially when he walks on court against Federer. Um, 
and he uses it to his favor. Uh, it, it may help him actually that crowds are going against him. He may feel like a different type of feel, like the one that gives him the actual strength. It's like I'm not playing against my opponent only, I'm playing against everybody else. That makes me rely on my own strength so much more. Uh, it, it could be something that like that is happening in his head. Um, and Yannick Noah was mentioning uh, how the moods of the crowds were affecting the play uh, that he was going through. Uh, he was talking about how he played McEnroe once. Uh, McEnroe. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm not... English isn't my first language. I'm sorry. I just wanted this podcast in English, but I... Anyways, I'm, I'll be I'll be bad in, in names forever. I'm sorry if that bothers you. <laughs> uh, stick with me, please. <laughs> so, anyway, he was playing McEnroe and um, him... He was trying to get the crowd to go with him by being like a like a, a lighthearted atmosphere, like a show. Like a, he was describing it as a as a comedy show. He's a musician. He's a performer, so it makes sense that he would think that way. Um, and he places himself as the good guy, uh, and in tennis, and he put McEnroe as the bad guy. And being the bad guy, what McEnroe wanted was for the crowd to be in under tension, so that would fire him up. That was the thing that he wanted. He wanted to play the crowd and play the opponents um, to kind of make the tension arise because if things were good, things were vibing nicely, it wasn't for him. So it, that changes how they see the mood and how they, uh, how they mentally um, and emotionally get invested in matches. The fans are important for that. Um, and... It kind of got me. Uh, I was actually honestly um, surprised of when I was thinking about fans and, and having the US Open happening without any fans. And it's not to say that I don't care, for example, about the Southern and Western Open and Cincinnati Open, which is happening in New York. Um, but in, at the end of the day is that the Grand Slams there are going to count. Like wh- whenever we are looking at the biggest winners of the year, uh, we are looking first at the Grand Slams. And second, we look at the, the Masters 1000. But for the Grand Slams, um, which is probably what's going to stay in history for the longest, um, how much will fans actually impact the, the victor and the defeated? Is Djokovic, Djokovic going to be able to, to draw energy from nothing? Because it will be nothing. Is Dominic Team going to play well without crowds? Is anybody else who's going to be there play well without crowds at all? And full silence. It's, it's one thing that we think about. Oh, yeah, they're just tennis players and they're just probably just going to retreat to their own world. But maybe there will be a difference. Maybe something emotionally and mentally in them will not click. Maybe they will just won't feel the, the motivation, something that comes in from, from deep within their, their, their tennis being, if you will, to actually go in and win a match. And. Uh, this plays into a little bit of what Ben was talking in uh, No Challenges Remaining with his guests, that um, it might be more difficult to win a tournament in those conditions because it's not the conditions that players are used to. So there isn't necessarily a way to prepare mentally for things like that. And now that I think of it, as, I, as I'm speaking, I'm thinking maybe team will have some sort of advantage in terms of that, like, and Nadal is probably going to have the least advantage um, with all of this, 
because Nadal hasn't played at all. He doesn't necessarily know what it is to play um, without crowds, um, especially for a big tournament. But big tournaments, nobody really knows. But team has been the one playing the most exhibition matches. It's almost been kind of relentless. Uh, I hope he gets time to rest. Otherwise, it would suck for him to have won, whatever, 83 exhibition matches in the season and then lose in the third round of a Grand Slam, like a title that actually matters. Um but he he does have uh, the uh, probably a little bit more of a of a of an understanding of what it is to play under um, pandemic restrictions. Um, so he might be, be preparing mentally for that as well. It may not just be a physical thing that he plays all of those, but mental as well. Maybe he he just put it in his head. Well, okay, I have to play with no fans in the U.S. Open, guaranteed. If it happens, the Roland Garros limited amount of fans if any at all but i have to prepare for the worst what if there's no fans i know what it is to play with fans so what what is it like to play without fans and this may be a mental strategy a strategy to get himself psychology uh psychologically ready to enter i don't know if they're playing arthur ash but say they do to enter arthur ash stadium um with no fans at all and just in this mega Mega stadium fully empty, um, except for uh, the 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 empire, and I don't even know if they're having lines lines people. Um, but maybe other players are going to be caught by surprise. So um, it'll be it'll be quite a quite an interesting thing to see um, to see it happening uh, without without the fans. And maybe this is going to be the asterisk and not necessarily this is going to be easier, but more difficult or there will be no fans. And this is going to be like the thing that we're going to be talking about. Um, the asterisk that we put as in there were no fans and therefore um, the interviews that they said that it was actually really difficult to concentrate because of that, to focus on on what they're doing. And for for this, um, I had, I as I, as I, I said, I asked essentially as a fan, how do you feel about it, uh, about not having fans on, on, uh, on court when matches are happening? And those are, those are essentially my options. I don't like this idea of having, of not having fans. Uh, I don't care about fans and that, by that I essentially meant, uh, I never really did care about fans. I, I, it doesn't matter for me. It's not a problem. Um, I don't know, which is where I sit. Uh, and ironically is the one that gets the uh, the least amount of votes. And the one that gets the most amount of votes is I just want tennis back. And for for this option, I just want tennis back. This is this is what I kind of thought for myself uh, as I was thinking about those options and thinking about like what people were going to probably answer to this was that um it, it, it's just been so long that we haven't had competitive tennis that as fans is a little bit draining. It's a little bit boring. Um, it's something that we're tired of waiting for. It's exhausting to live in a world in quarantine uh, where we can't uh, really can't can 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 go out very much to do pretty much anything. Have a lot of restrictions with meeting people. We're battling battling through this to try to survive. Uh, a pandemic with the least amount of um, casualties as possible, and uh, 
as they again uh, in the uh, NCR podcast, they've mentioned uh, we we just won the reward. We feel like we haven't been rewarded yet for the uh, for 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 being quarantined, for following the restrictions, for trying to wear masks and stay home as much as possible, and knowing that everybody is staying home, including professional athletes. So our entertainment base is is uh, is lower. There's only so much Netflix that one can watch. So tennis is a big part of, of my life, for example. And um, well, I'm doing a podcast about it. So you just know how important this is for me. I want to get engaged for it in any way possible. And as soon as I started doing this, boom, like pandemic, no more tennis, nothing is going on. I was like, what am I going to do? How, what am I going to talk about? Luckily, there's tons of things to talk about, but there was only so much, um, I would say, tennis that gets engaging uh, once it just stops and i just want tennis back is the option of uh, of us just being really tired um i just want to watch anything that's tennis i don't even at this point i don't even care that, that if um a random player wins or if my favorite player loses in the second round or if the match is kind of suck at least we're gonna have something to talk about we're gonna have something to watch we're gonna have something to cheer for um so this is kind of like i feel like the the general feeling about um having this idea of just wanting tennis just wanting tennis to to come back um so yeah and it's um with all the things that are that are happening and with all the even um uncertainty of tennis happening uh it, there were there was a schedule there's a tentative schedule that included the city open in washington and that's not going to happen anymore the usda st- uh, issued a statement of the cancellation of the city open which i retweeted you can look it up um or you can look on the usda website or the uh the the, the twitter account um and uh even though they, they're trying to reassure us that the us open is going to happen they they say in the second paragraph this decision is in no way uh this this decision in no way impacts the US Open or the Western and Southern Open so they they're trying to say here that they can, we okay we canceled the city open we canceled Washington however this has nothing to do with the US Open the US Open is its own microcosmos and this is Washington this is is a totally different story. This couldn't happen, but this other one, just leave it alone. Nothing to, has nothing to do with it. Don't worry about it. They're they're really trying to make it uh, make us feel like the U.S. Open is going to happen. That we're going to give it a chance. We're going to give it a shot. They're trying to give us tennis back essentially, but it's it's almost it's a little hard to believe, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. It's when they say that it has no way that in no way impacts the US Open it's how much so like how much can you be so sure that this in no way impacts the US Open you just cancel the tournament because of pandemic um it's not like New York is is in is in great shape you know it's um it's going to be really really difficult for them to hold the tournament and if even if they manage to hold it up until the end, it will be a massive effort of um, 
a lot of uh, testing and a lot of um, isolation, a lot of uh, restrictions for players. And I bet, I bet that if uh, they're playing a full draw, 128 players, men and women side, um, there will be disqualifications. Players are going to break the the protocol, the the um, the restrictions. They are going to go out and they're going to do something that they shouldn't be doing and they're going to be disqualified. Guaranteed. I cannot see this not happening. Even for small things like um, the tennis, something professional, whatever, world team tennis, I think Daniel Collins was uh, disqualified for breaking the rules. And um, I think this is also a message that they, they want to send, send, that the USTA is... Well, it, I don't think the WTT, the World Team Tennis, has much to do with the USTA, but they're probably all working together in a way to try and get um, people to get a feel like, listen, we are here and we have strict rules and we're going to abide to them. Players are going to abide to those rules. And if they don't, there will be no second chances. This is what they're trying to say to make everybody feel like it's going to happen. We don't know. I don't know yet. I feel like there's a, still a chance that the US Open is not going to happen. There's a lot of people. Some people answered um, that they just don't want tennis back or whatever. Um, they said, that I don't like the idea. Yeah, the, 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 the one that got the second most amount of votes, votes was, I don't like the idea of having no fans. Um, and some people are saying that it's um, still pretty crazy that the US Open is happening and that they wish that it was just the tennis was just fully over for the rest of the season. But um, I'm I'm not I'm not so sure about that. I mean, here's the thing: I feel like the US Open may not happen. I don't feel like the um, tennis season should be fully canceled because there is a possibility that Europe can still hold tournaments. I think the fact that Roland Garros is considering having fans. Is one of two things. Is either of of those two things? Is either they are in actually a really really good spot, and they can foresee probably having fans with social distancing and a limited amount of people wearing masks, or they're being completely reckless and they have no idea what the heck is going on. There is no in between for that. Like to consider to have fans, it's it's one or the other, and I'm hoping that they're not being reckless because well the consequences the impacts go beyond tennis beyond having to cancel the tournament there's uh, the impact of more people getting sick more people getting infected like uh, getting a, a new wave of uh, of covid19 which is the last thing that we all want like if another wave comes and another wave comes and another and another tennis in 2021 might be jeopardized you know like we may not be able to have tennis until whatever, July next year. Suppose Wimbledon gets cancelled again. That will be... That will be not okay, man. It's just, I just want tennis back. I'm I'm leaning a little bit towards um, that statement. I'm still feeling like I don't necessarily know how I feel about tennis, but I also want... I also just want tennis back. I also... I want to see what it feels going to feel like. I don't, I don't want to just call it and be like... Oh yeah, like the fans are without fans is just going to suck. Um, no, this 
I, I, I want to see what it's going to look like without the fans as well. I, maybe it's not going to be good, but who's to say? Maybe it's going to be fine. Uh, and uh, next year in the Australian Open, and then whatever, in the Australian uh, swing, things with fans will be like, oh, yeah, man, like this is way better. But I'm glad I had something to, to hold on to, like in terms of tennis. So that's that's kind of like the state of, of things right now. This is beyond who may win is is the tennis tournaments even going to happen and uh, i do hope that they do happen but i also um just kind of like to close this thought right now is that i above all i do want things to be done uh safely and not rushed and not just for the sake of having something um i just want tennis back but well leaning towards it but i hope And I will, I would like for all of the organizers to prioritize safety as much as possible for fans and for players alike. And um, yeah, and I guess like the 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 last thing of um, that I wanted to talk about in this in in this episode is the the asterisk which I've mentioned here. Um, is there really going to be an asterisk on on people's um, on the players uh, winning the tournament, the Grand Slam. Um, because, as I've mentioned, it, it may even be more difficult. It may be um, more uh, strange. It may feel like a totally different atmosphere in which you have no idea how to focus. You have nowhere to like um, draw your energy from unless, except for yourself. For a lot of players, they're probably going to be like coming back to like juniors days or whatever when uh, they only had like probably their family watching, and probably even that is going to be absent. They probably won't even have anyone. Um, if the rules of the U.S. Open, I believe, were to be only, I believe, two, one or two people in your team, um, to um to accompany you, I don't think they're going to be allowing family and to join, let, let alone like friends, right? So, um. Who are they going to be looking at? They're going to be looking at an empty box and trying to imagine this, the, like the the the, the visualizing their their families there. It's going to be like a whole different technique of visualization in which you're, you're just going to have to visualize the whole crowd cheering for you. Somebody even mentioned uh, to have um, crowd crowd noises that are going to trigger, and for me that's a no no. Like honestly, I'd rather have no tennis and have tennis become a sitcom. Like for me, this is the most ridiculous idea, I would probably laugh every time that the applause were coming or the cheering. I wouldn't be able to watch that match. I would have to watch it on mute. And I hate watching tennis on mute. Actually, I hate watching essentially anything on mute. But, um... Yeah, the... The asterisk, I guess, the two people, I would say... Well, so there are three players in three situations that I find are going to be the most um, important when considering the asterisk in their in their names next to the um, well, it's probably not going to be any official asterisk asterisk or anything, but on uh, plenty of people's uh, blogs and uh, Wikipedia articles, there will be one very likely that happened in the pandemic, and those three players are Dominic Team. Serena Williams and uh, Novak Djokovic. And actually, I'm not going to even like say Dominic team. I'm going to say anyone else that isn't a big favorite that wins a tournament. 
Um, so for Novak Djokovic, um, I'm just going to start with and just like get this out of the way because it's an easy one. Um, the problem isn't if he wins uh, Rolling Arrows. The problem is... Actually, never mind. It's The problem is, isn't if he wins the US Open. That's what I meant to say. The problem is if he wins Rolling Garros. Um, if he does win at Rolling Garros and the field is smaller or um, he gets to whatever, beat Nadal in the final in four sets or even in five, nothing in the world is going to make this... There will be a thousand people coming to say um, that... It wasn't a legitimate victory. Nadal didn't lose necessarily because it was different conditions. There were no fans. This, the atmosphere was uh, different and whatnot. And uh, it's it's just kind of going to be tough for... It, it was already going to be tough forever to like say that, Djoko, that Djokovic uh, would be the legitimate champion. People would claim that probably Nadal had injuries or anything. Um, but... Maybe with uh, with with no fans and different atmosphere for Djokovic is going to be another um, another blow in his popularity almost um, because well this is going to be his asterisk that he's going to win in unusual conditions. So yeah, there you go. That's for Djokovic's issue. Um, the second issue is going to be for. Um, all, all other players that are that are not big favorites, and Dominic Team is included in that. Even his, even if he's like a a second favorite, um, he's not necessarily considered as a major force, I guess, to win one of those two slams. Is he's getting his chances, but I'm I'm people still don't think that he's going to win it, as I've said previously. Um, but yeah, if if they do win. Here's what's gonna happen. Well, you you only won this tournament because he was in the different condition. You only won because whatever uh, Novak Djokovic was wasn't being able to focus, or Nadal wasn't playing in different conditions, or whatever. Serena Williams uh, felt like looked like she was getting sick, or she didn't have the roars of the U.S. Open to cheer for her, or. Or anything, or maybe like whatever. Halep wasn't there because she didn't want to come to New York. So um, for those players, it's going to be a pretty lame, um, pretty lame thing to 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 have. You know, I, I would if I were one of them, I obviously would still want to win it because, well, it's money and you get the trophy. Like I would, regardless of it's an asterisk or not, it is still going to be a heck of an achievement. Um, the only way to deal with this would be probably to, um, not care about media or not care about social media, really, because media is, they're probably going to be fine with it, but social media is just going to be pain in the butt if you win it, if you're in this tournament right now. Um, so if you're not a favorite, if you don't, and if you win this tournament, it's it, social media will never leave you alone. Like there will always be blog posts about you saying how you want it in unusual uh, point uh, terms and if you never come back and win another slam or if you don't for for example crack the top 10 or the top five the chances are you're going to be remembered as the pandemic winner which is 
pretty lame. So those people are just going to have to like leave social media for a very long time. That's probably what's going to happen. Um, and the last player that I find is going to suffer the most with uh, such unusual conditions is Serena Williams. Um, and the reason why I say that is because there's a lot of things on the line for, for Serena. For one, um, I personally think she's the uh, ultimate greatest of all time, male or female. I think her achievements speak speak for themselves. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, it's it's difficult. There's a lot of statistics, but I think that her records are just so insane. And um, she still is a big favorite, regardless of when of, of what tournament she enters. Uh, even if she's not at her best right now, even if she's, uh, I think, 39, 38 or 20, 39 years old, um, she's still such a powerful force in tennis that that I that I don't think that she, um, I feel like she's she's definitely leading the 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 greatest of all time discussion, and that's my opinion on that one. You may disagree if you want to, by the way, um, but. The, the the asterisk on, on hers is going to be tough for uh, the reason that if she, suppose she plays in the U.S. Open and uh, the U.S. Open has a 90% uh, of um, participation is, is American. Is this, is this slam going to like count? Like how much of a, uh, of a competition will she have faced? Like people will just kind of, kind of like, say say it say it about her record in in that regard um and that's probably the one that is she's the most likely to win of the two uh Ron Garros could be really difficult she doesn't she's not the greatest champion there i think she's won three times and that's where she got a couple um bad losses as well so um, it's it's just it's just complicated, Roland Garros. So if she has a chance this year of tying um, Margaret Court's twenty four uh, record of twenty four Grand Slam titles, it's going to be in the U.S. Open. And um, th- there is also the fact that what I've already said, like if without the roars of uh, the crowds in the in New York, without the heavy heavy um, backing of um, the the United States fans uh, on the stadiums. Um, is Williams going to be um like how strong is she going to be in that tournament? How how much more difficult was will it be for her to focus? Um so yeah. So it could it could be that is actually more difficult for her. Or because if the playing field will be so limited, it may just kind of like even things out. But anyway, um and to be to be fair uh i've i've been i've been seeing um as well like in uh the no challenges remaining podcast or um on twitter as well the discussion is about necessarily how interesting it would be for her to tie uh margaret court's um record by playing essentially the same conditions that court played back in the day in australia where she won uh, a crap ton of titles. I don't remember exactly how many. Probably like some something like seven or eight, maybe more um, titles in Australia. And when she won it, like in the seventies or whatever, Australian Open wasn't necessarily a a big slam in a sense. Like it was, it was a Grand Slam. It still counted as a Grand Slam. Um, it's still prestigious, but 
it was players just didn't travel to Australia to play it. So it was mostly a domestic field that was playing. And that's where she got most of her titles. And if I'm not mistaken, and um, um, I'm going to hold myself accountable on this. I'm going to look it up right after this. Um, it, the draws were also smaller when court won um, her Australian Opens and a, f- a bunch of other Grand Slams. So in that sense, if Williams were to win in uh, in a weird condition US Open without fans and suppose a, a smaller, um, a, a limited field with only... Um, American players and who say who was to say maybe they're going to have only 96 players instead of the classic uh, 128. Um, but um, this would be some people are saying like it's it's quite fitting actually that she would tie courts with with this situation and um, there there are two um, ways to look at that I would say like th- there's the one way which is well. Court did it, so if she does it, there is absolutely no shame in doing that. And the Grand Slam counts anyways; it's it's just totally fine. Like we're gonna count it, and that way, that way we can have we can get back to actually considering Court's achievements as val uh, valid and not just dismissing them. And by the way, they don't miss the the main reason people dismiss Court's records is essentially because of her views. And I'm not saying that people are right or wrong about this. I'm just saying that you have to apply the same um, conditions for everybody. If you're talking about court, you have to talk about um, Billie Jean and other plays that were um, the goats of their times, if you will. So, And the other way that you can look at it is how much more legitimate wouldn't it be if Serena would break that record by winning a slam in regular conditions it's kind of it would be the ultimate um trump card over um over court's achievements which is somewhat bad which is pretty bad for her but um the thing is it's it, it will be kind of saying court won all of her um all of her slams in a totally different era, era with mostly domestic um fans um domestic uh field um, of players and uh, smaller draws and whatever you name it, how much easier, if you will, you want to make it. And then Serena has to come here and win in three, at this point, four different decades uh, Grand Slams. I think she won her tournament, the first Grand Slam in the in the US Open in 1999 and 98. So yeah, so if she does get to win a Grand Slam right now, she will have won. A, a, a tournament, a Grand Slam in, in four different decades. And I think this is probably unprecedented. Um, I'm not sure if this happened before the open era, but I like to only consider basically the open era because it's probably the most difficult one. But the, the non-open era, the amateur era, was very interesting too. But yeah, and how much more legitimate, how much cooler wouldn't it be to just kind of like break this record and maybe even start a new era of tennis in a sense? Like, I mean... Uh, unofficially, because uh, the open era marks something very official in terms of who can play or not. But uh, if, say, Serena breaks this record and becomes the, the most uh, decorated champion of all time um, in the open era, in the era of uh, big names um, in 128 um, player draw at 39 years old, um, 
serving at 200 kilometers per hour. Um, but it's kind of, it would, it would definitely be the positive asterisk, I would say, like in, in, in that sense, uh, if she, she won in, in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's kind of how we are going to look at this, um, at this uh, remainder of the season, this, this year is going to be really interesting to see once it's, it's, once it's done, like we're going to have all of the data collected, all of the uh, champions crowned, um, all of the sets won and sets lost, um, crazy comebacks, if there are any, and that's when we're going to be able to sit down and, and think about all of this and, and consider how weird is going to, is, is, will be this season once it's over. That's a season that we are going to have, we're going to be really happy to have time to process um, what happened in, uh, in this season. And um, I'm not sure if I can't wait to see it, but I'm really, really curious to see um, at the end of uh, when we get back to the off season in December, what will have happened at that point and how are, how is the tennis world going to have changed at that at that at the time um so so yeah this is kind of what i essentially had to say about the grand slams and um and the comeback of tennis i guess in general but mostly the grand slam which is um by far the um the type of record the tournament um level that matters the most the one that we essentially look at the most uh, when our careers are well and the players' careers are over. So the whole thing is um so yeah it, it will be worth worthy a lot of analysis when uh when this is all done. And for now, for the moment, I will sit a little bit on my own thoughts and thinking about whether how much do I want tennis to be back and the considering the importance of fans uh on the stadiums and this dynamic between players and, and fans and crowds. So yeah, if you if you listen to this podcast up to then, up to here, and uh, you have um, any comments, uh, let's let's talk about it on Twitter. And if you have Instagram, and you follow me on Instagram as well, feel free to, to, to chat on on the comments as well uh, or on Facebook. Um, I'm essentially everywhere and. And soon, probably to be on YouTube. I'll see you like later. Um, maybe in a in a couple of weeks, I will I will launch a channel. We'll know. Who knows? Um, stay tuned for that one. But in the meantime, you can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts if if you listen to this. Um, you can. It will help me a lot. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, stay tuned on Twitter. I will. I intend to ask lots of questions and have tons of discussions for future podcasts. And I'm also looking forward to have a new guest soon as well. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for listening up to here and let me know who are your favorites for winning Grand Slams. Do you really think that there is an asterisk? Do you think it's harder? Do you think it's, uh, it's, it's easier? Talk to me on, on, on social media, man. I, or, or girl, <laughs> I love to, to, to talk about tennis all the time. So yeah. Um, have a great day and um, I'll see you in the next episode of Tennis and Bagels. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.